Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. So one of the questions after we sing a song like that is, do you believe that? A couple of uh, public service announcements. Uh, Number one, uh, thank you to Gabby who got in here this week and got us some window coverings. Uh, For those that wonder, those are not a final product. Just uh, We got new windows. They're perfectly clear, and they have a very lovely view of the restroom facility. So in protection of your privacy, we covered them, so if you're free to go to the restroom during the service, and not everyone in the sanctuary will be able to see you. That's, that's thinking ahead right there. That's what that is. And also, uh, if you are a part, join us online, a part of our Pasadena campus, maybe you wandered over today, we are doing a brainstorming session on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock in the lounge over there because uh, we're going to make some facility changes over there. So if you'd like some input into that, be a part of that. Uh, we're going to try to make it available on Zoom to those that can't quite get there. But uh, just to be aware of all of that is happening. Uh, you might notice it's warmer in here than usual. Anybody notice that? Okay, a couple of things. Uh, it turns out when you cut holes to the outside and there's no insulation, that heat tends to get in the building more. So that's what's happening. And uh, also, eventually, there'll be three tons of new air conditioning coming into this room. So uh, just hang on. It's going to get better, probably in time for winter. (laughs) So it'll be all right. Where do you look for righteousness? Where do you go to find it? Maybe a simpler way to ask that question is, where do you look for answers? What do you say in your brain, if we could get this solved, then everything would be okay? It would work out. A shortcut is what makes you angry. Because what makes you angry then says, this isn't right, it's not okay. And we don't use the word righteousness much in our culture. We're pretty sure that Moses probably said righteousness. We generally don't say that to one another because it's just like a big biblical word, and we think it means something weird. And it really isn't a weird word. It just means rightness. And most of us have some sense of rightness, of how it ought to be. We say things out loud to each other. Sometimes we say things out loud in the car to others (laughs) about righteousness. (laughs) You know. And so where do you go to find righteousness? Where are you looking for it? Our culture searches for righteousness in a lot of places. I mean, we can look for it almost anywhere. We look for righteousness in politics. Just a little tip, not a good place to look for righteousness. We look for righteousness in systems. We we want our public systems to work right, whether it's the justice system or, or, you know, uh, the system in which we assist people. We want the systems to work correctly. Now, we don't all agree on what that would look like, but we understand the concept of righteousness. We get it. It's floating around in our heads, this idea of getting it right. But where do you look for righteousness? 
And then Jesus came along and he said, I want you to understand a few things. I want you to understand that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like a little bit of yeast worked into a lot of flour. It's a small thing, but it makes a big difference. And we do this series in the fall to say, why are we here? Why does the church exist? What's the point? Well, the point is that you and I are supposed to be the difference. We're supposed to take our little mustard seed, yours and mine, the little bit that we can do, and we're supposed to plant the mustard seed and and become the yeast in the 60 pounds of flour, and we're supposed to make a difference in the culture in our world. We're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Are we? Is that what's happening to us? In fact, we're supposed to be infectious. Some of us have heard this expression recently, pandemic. We are supposed to be the actual pandemic of the world. We are supposed to go viral. We're supposed to infect people around. We're supposed to have something happening in us that is powerful enough that when people are around us, they catch it. Something impacts them. It makes them different. They feel different. They think different. They get a glimpse of something that is a source of righteousness that's not the same old source of righteousness. That's our task. That's our calling. That's our job. We just sang a song about believing that there's good to come, about believing that the battle is not against flesh and blood, about believing that, that we are supposed to be something in this culture and we are supposed to be the difference to make a difference. And we're thinking today about what it means to be a peacemaker in this culture. If you've been paying attention, you may have noticed that we are living in a very divided culture. Anybody notice that? And let's start at the top. We're living in a divided world. Now, you would have thought, and I'm going to talk about this in a few weeks, but given the fact that the culture says human beings are capable of so much, just look inside and be who you are, and and as we evolve into becoming more and more who we are, the world's going to get better and better. You would think that given time, by now, we would know some things. Like you would have thought by now, we would no longer tolerate within the culture of our world that one country tries to dominate and abuse another. You would have thought we learned that by now, that it's not a good practice, that it doesn't work out well, that it is not righteousness, it's not right, it's not okay. But we don't seem to learn these lessons, do we? And the world is deeply divided. And it's deeply divided about a lot of things. Number one, it's divided about whether progressive policies really advance humanity or conservative policies advance humanity. It's an argument. It goes on in every country around this world. You think it's just in this country? No, no. It's all over the world. And what are we really arguing about? We're arguing about what's right and what's wrong. We're arguing about the very most fundamental truths of what it means to be a human being in this world. Right and wrong. Good and evil. What does it add up to? Not just the world culture, it's our culture too. We are deeply divided as a culture. In fact, we're very quite neatly divided, about 50-50, which is convenient. Because that means in almost any situation, when there's one other human, you've got a good chance of being at odds. Unless, of course, it's your own family. And then you already know who you're at odds with. (laughs) Yeah, don't talk about that with them because that would not work out well. But you can talk about that with them 
because they're on our side. They're on our side. They see it the way we see it. This very divisive culture in which we live. And that culture then permeates not just that it's some big thing that's happening out there in the politics of this country. Back in the 1950s, I don't know if anybody has ever seen this. I came across this study recently. Back in the 1950s, one of the strongest, most influential political think tanks in the United States of America looked at the political parties in this country. Everybody with me? 1950s political parties in this country think tank. And they made this observation. The American people have no significant choice between Republicans and Democrats because they are a lot the same. I want to task the Democrats and Republicans with becoming distinct in their platforms so that the American people have better choice. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. We're divided politically, culturally, and underneath it all, what we're asking is the question, what is right and what is wrong? And we're looking at all kinds of places for this information of righteousness. What is righteousness. But it gets inside of us. We have this same sort of dichotomy inside of us, the same sort of tension where we are pulled in multiple directions, pulled in the direction of things that seem expedient and better for us, and, and, and maybe they provide for us some kind of escape and some kind of moment. And then on the other side, we have this sort of pull towards, no, I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing. I think there's a bigger call for us and a bigger picture for us, and so we resist some things so we can embrace some things, but most of us are neatly divided inside of our own bodies, our own thoughts, our own journey, and we're still asking the same fundamental question, what's right and what's wrong? What does it mean to be a righteous person? It matters. It matters how we think of it. Now, we're not the first culture on the face of this planet that's been deeply divided like this. In fact, Paul in the first century is facing some things in which he observes how deeply divided the culture is. And by the way, if you've read his letters, you understand that they are dividing over all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's this massive division that he wants to address, but then within the context, there's all kinds of issues that people are dividing over. Food offered to idols and, and, and all kinds of different, how Jewish do you have to be in order to be Christian? There's all kinds of conflict going on as they seek the path of what is right and what is wrong, what is righteous and what is not. Listen to what he writes to us in Ephesians chapter 2. Everybody okay? Did it get too, too hot? Okay, I'm trying not to call attention to it, but also I want to empathize with your pain. And if it helps, it's much hotter up here than it is out there. If I pass out, just an IV will be good. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 
by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Wow. So Paul says, here's the massive plan of God for the condition of the world. Some of you were once Gentiles, and that means in in the very fundamental idea of what's right and what is wrong. This used to be the understanding. There's Jews and they're right, and there's everyone else. That was the simple theology, which Paul practiced to the point of putting others to death. We're right, you're wrong, you're so wrong that you don't even deserve to breathe. And then one day he encountered Jesus Christ. Now, we don't really get into the radical nature of what he's saying right now because we don't understand the deep division, the, the, the racial prejudices that would, were driving the first century. But for Paul to say, listen, he's made the Jews and the Gentiles one, people would be like, oh, no, he did not. It would be like me saying he's made the Democrats and the Republicans one. Yeah, you're all like, yeah, I hate it. Yeah, I don't see any hope of that happening. I mean, maybe if God came in person, inhabited in human flesh, and well, maybe, maybe not. And he just he took down the dividing wall between them. And how did he do that? He absorbed the commandments and the law with all of its regulations. And what he means by that is, he simply means this. What Jesus came and said is, you go be agents and ambassadors of love and reconciliation in the world, and I will be the agent of change. You pull people together into space, and the Holy Spirit will influence them and will transform their lives from the inside out. That's what Paul's advocating. He's not advocating chaos or anarchy. He's not an antinomialist. He's not an anti-law person. He's a person that says, that's not our business. We're to love God with all of our hearts. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we're to entrust the process to the power of the Holy Spirit who still convicts of sin and still transforms people's lives. We are free to love each other. We are free to recognize that in this great divisive world, we are to be the difference. Do we believe it? Do we believe that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed? It's like a little bit of yeast. When's the last time? We said, today it is my task. He has prepared good works in advance for us to do. When's the last time we got up in the morning and said, I know God has good works for me to do today. I am to spread the message of the gospel of righteousness. I want things right. I want them right. Now, sometimes we have sought righteousness, and it's been nothing more than a euphemism for our own opinion. That was the appropriate groan. Because none of us have figured out all of the nuances of what it actually means to be righteous. Which has something to do with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's hard to do that and believe that you have become the person who understands it all. This is a humbling place. (laughs) A humbling place. And so Paul says he's... He's created one. He's taken down. And listen to what he says. He has destroyed the the dividing wall of hostility. Wouldn't that be nice? I I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we started in here and we started to put away the hostility towards others? If we just put it aside and we prayed for them instead of criticized them? If we just 
thought for a moment that it's our task to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and we're supposed to leave things better than we found them and we're supposed to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We're supposed to go viral. We're supposed to be infectious. That's our calling. That's why we're here. It's our task. We are to be peacemakers. Listen to what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20. For I tell you that unless... Your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's an astonishing statement. Was there anyone in the first century more righteous than the Pharisees? They got it all right. They observed the letter of the law. They were absolute legalists. Was there anything in Scripture they didn't abide by? Listen, not only did they abide by the things in Scripture, they added and added and added and added and added and added. They called it building a fence around the law. So if this is sin, then we're going to build a fence. So that just means we can't go past. These are new rules that keep us getting close to the law because we don't want to fall over on the law. And then they build fences for their fences and then fences for their fences. And you've heard me say this before, but the Ten Commandments, which have to do with two things, loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor with ourselves... Four and six, if you look at them. The Ten Commandments became 618 laws. And the Pharisees kept every one of them. So for Jesus to stand in the midst of a crowd and say to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And what does he mean? He means that they got this part all right, but this part, this relational peace, They were destroying the lives of people. Matthew 21, you are putting burdens on the backs of people that is crushing the life out of them, and you make no effort to help them. You're teaching them to hate each other instead of love each other. And so we have this moment. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. And first go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid back every last penny. Five habits of peacemakers who work in this world based on this teaching. Number one, peacemakers are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You and I are actively engaged in being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We do that wherever we go. We're not wallflowers. We are not the people who stand on the sidelines, who, who, who don't exercise any sort of interaction with the world. Now, sometimes when we get mixed up about the power structure, about the fact that we're to love God with all our heart and our neighbors ourselves, and that Jesus, or the God and the Holy Spirit are the agents of change, we decide that the world is very threatening to us. And so Christians collectively are withdrawing from the culture. 
we, we pull away from it. And then somehow we're no longer contagious. <laughs> I mean, we may catch something from each other in here, <laughs> but we're really not interacting in our places of work, in our schools, because we are called to be something. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. That means we're to add flavor. Don't you love salt? Don't you? Isn't it one of the wonderful things that God gave us? Do I need to talk about salt for a minute? <laughs> salad. Do you know the root word of salad? Salt. You can't have salad without Salt. Can I get an amen? That's why bacon is so good in a salad. It's salty. Salary. Root word. Salt. The most fundamental kind of commerce in the beginning of humanity was centered around salt. You're the salt of the earth. Are we? Would it, is, is the conversation we're having at work, at school, in our culture, is it adding flavor? Are people better off? Do they walk away from a conversation with us and go, man, every time I talk to that person, my, my life feels better. They talk about stuff that's different. They think about things that's different. They're not looking for their righteousness in politics. Therefore, they're not upset about politics. Therefore, they're not yakking about politics. Did I go too far? <laughs> politics are like sausage. You may like the flavor, but you don't want to know what's in there. Because <laughs> that's not where our righteousness comes from. Amen? It's not where our righteousness comes from. And we're the light of the world. We bring light. We shine some light. There's wholeness. There's health. There's hope. There's encouragement. And, and these good works God prepared in advance for us to do. We wake up in the morning and say, God, what do you have for me today to do? Where will you lead me? With whom will I be engaged? Will I see it? Will I know it? Am I so locked into my own world and my own stuff that I might miss this opportunity to be infectious in the world? Because that's why I'm here. To spread the good news of the kingdom of God alive on earth. On earth. Peacemakers are salt and light. Number two, peacemakers are righteous. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the biblical concept of righteousness is putting things right. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, wouldn't you like to put things right in your own mind? I mean, wouldn't you like to tell your mind to just behave itself? Just would you just stop it right now? That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not just about what's out there. It's about reconciling us to God. It's about asking God to make us whole again, to put us back together the way we're supposed to work. What is morality? It's not about imposing our will on someone else. It's about saying God created us with something that helps us feel peace and fills us with hope and allows us to love. I don't know if you know this, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is in the business of bringing people together. Who knew? Who knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ is about helping us love each other deeply, 
rightly, correctly. It's about peace inside our inner world because we are pursuing righteousness. It's not our own righteousness, but His. We trust in it. We believe in it. That's why He teaches us about loving Him with all of our heart because loving God with all of our heart helps our inner world. Amen? Because when I love God with all my heart, I don't believe I'm the top of the food chain. I live in humility. I subject my opinions and thoughts and ideas to the will of God. I ask that all the time. I never believe that I have accomplished and achieved so that I understand the will of God perfectly and I can go execute it in the world. Instead, I get up every day and say, God, help me today not to mess it up, to know your will, to feel the presence of your spirit, to walk in that grace, to be humble, to apologize when I mess it up because I'm not the top of the food chain. I'm not here to criticize. I'm not here to run somebody down. I'm not going to hold them in contempt. I'm going to, in fact, be an ambassador of love and reconciliation. And that happens. My inner world gets healthier when God's in control. Because then I don't have to figure everything out. Now, that's a real battle. That went quick. But it's a real battle. It's a real battle to surrender what I think to what he wants. Because I get angry and I get worried and I love God my inner world is better because I love the Lord with all my heart and my relational world is better because what is righteousness that I love others as I love myself that's how I love each other that's how I love others I don't love some people in the culture who reflect my same ideas and and my same politics and my same you know team I saw that jersey earlier. <laughs> wow. Swell. That's a, that's a story of grace right there. It's the, it's the first day of the season. There's hope. <laughs> Two weeks from now, you may not see that jersey anymore. We love each other. Righteousness. It checks us in our relationships. It helps our inner world. It helps our relational world. It's about morality. It's about God saying, no, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, it's not about that. It's about setting things right. God has in mind what's right. He wants you to be whole, a fully integrated human being. And this is what's happened in our culture. We have decided that human beings are capable of leading themselves. Really? That's all? That was all for that? And as that experiment called humanism, where we said we don't need God anymore, human beings are fully capable of evolving to a point where their maturity will help them to lead a righteous world. That little experiment in our current culture started in 1960. Do you want to look statistically at what's happened to us since 1960 and this cultural revolution of humanism where we removed God from the top? 1968, the cover of Time magazine, God is dead. Science has taken the place of God. How's that working out for us in 2023? Are our families better? Is our culture better? Are we better at justice? Is there less racism? Are we better off? And what do we do as a culture? We double down. Well, the reason it's not working is because we don't have enough of that. If we just had a little more of human wisdom leading us, if we just figured out another layer instead of surrendering ourselves 
to a holy God who loves us perfectly. <laughs> it's about righteousness is not about what we practice. Righteousness is about God wanting what is best for us, and we practice it because we believe he wants what's best for us. He's come that we might have life and have it in abundance. And so we practice this peace of righteousness in our inner world and in our relational world. This should excite you when I turn all those pages. (laughs) Peacemakers surrender their anger. I tell you, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, anybody who is angry with their brothers or sisters, it's a problem. Do we believe that? Do we believe that anger is not something we... We live in a culture that is driven. The fuel is anger. The more anger, the more rage we can generate towards others, the better chance we have of winning. That's the process in which we are engaged. I don't know if you know this, but there's a recent study out, I don't know if anybody's seen this, that says that the American culture is not exactly as deeply divided as we think. Anybody seen any of these new studies that are coming out? A few people. In fact, they're kind of astonishing. What they say is when you actually begin to, you know, actually do a a survey that has not been prejudiced by the way it's set up, and you just talk to people that the numbers are pretty staggering, that 78 to 80% of Americans sort of all still feel the same way. They still believe in basic decency and common sense, and they're very pragmatic. They want to have programs and processes that work, that are sustainable and affordable and work. About 70 to 80% of the culture says this is what we're about. Now, if these studies are true, which we have really no reason to doubt them, (laughs) that means that there's a very small percentage, about... 20 to 30 percent of people who are on these fringes, but the fringes have the microphone, and they are blasting away at our culture, and we got to be smart enough not to play their game, because what happens is we rage, and we yell, and we practice our anger, and we try to push back, and, and this Radical side accuses that radical side, and this radical side accuses that radical side, and, and, and somewhere in the middle are those of us who say, you know what, I'm not playing that game anymore. In fact, the studies find that the root cause of this massive division is social media. And why would it be social media? Because social media is an unchecked platform. Anybody can say anything on social media, and there are people who are experts at getting your attention. In fact, the study further found that even foreign governments are entering into the social media in our country to keep us deeply divided. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But we're not going to play that game, are we? Because peacemakers surrender anger. Because we don't believe that our existence is about our government. We're not looking to our government for righteousness. We are looking to the kingdom of God and His power. We just sang about it. And we're, we're trusting and believing that the power of God is going to work inside as we do our part to be the infectious yeast and seeds. We're down here at the grassroots level, growing the kingdom of God alive on earth. Amen? It's our task. We surrender our anger. Number four, you know, they took the clock out of this room. and So as far as I know, it's 1020. 
What time is it really? Almost 11. 10.58. I like 10.55 better. We'll take that. (laughs) Peacemakers give up contempt. He says, not only you're not supposed to be angry, you're not supposed to say raka, brother. And, And raka is an expression that just means I'm holding you in contempt. Boy, we get a lot of that, don't we? I mean, contempt. Contempt. We hold others in contempt. I hear pastors preach contempt. I see it on social media. Somebody says something and there is deep contempt. One side has deep contempt for the other. And that side has deep... They're deplorable. They're, 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 they're ignorant. They're, they're uneducated. They don't have right motives. No, no, it's them. They're going to destroy the world. Contempt. This deep-seated sense where we hold others in contempt. If you get inside the Greek here, what he's saying is you can murder someone's body, but you can also kill their soul. So don't only not murder their body, but don't kill their soul. Don't kill their reputation. Don't talk that way. Don't act like that. You're a peacemaker. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And peacemakers do not traffic in contempt for other human beings. Amen? All right. Am I preaching too harshly this morning? You say that. Number five, peacemakers practice reconciliation. This may be the most astonishing piece of the teaching. If you go to the altar and you're making your presentation to God, you're entering into worship of God, it's pretty good. That's the way to go. And you remember, listen to what he says, that someone has something against you. Not that you have something against somebody else. <laughs> You remember that somebody has something against you. You talk about having to take some initiative. I mean, if it's I have something against somebody, I go, okay, that's my deal. I need to figure it out. But if they have something against me, that ain't my problem. I can't fix that. (laughs) Leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with that person. Because this righteousness is about loving God with all of our heart and loving our... There is a vertical piece of loving God with all of our heart that inspires us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you say you love God, but you hold people in contempt and you don't love them, then leave this and go fix that and then come back and worship. Because these things work together and they're evidence of each other. When you love God, you don't hold people in contempt. We, we, we give up our anger because at this relational level, we understand that we're to love others as we love ourselves, as we're to love others as we love our own children. We may not always agree with our children, but man, do we embrace them. Shake them sometimes. Not too much. But we don't let them go. We love them and we love them and we love them. And we love them, 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 and we just keep loving them. And sometimes they don't treat us well, and we love them anyway, and we just keep loving because we love them. And that's God says, that's what the world is. Go be those people. You go be those people that practice reconciliation. Make it better. Make it better, make it better, make it better, make it better. Do we believe that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed and a little bit of yeast? Because every one of us have an opportunity to go out into our world and to offer it. 
We have an opportunity to go to the schools. We have an opportunity to go to our places of business. We have an opportunity to make it so in the community. It can show up in the grocery store when you're shopping. It, it, it can show up anywhere. And it's not that complicated. Sometimes I think the church has inoculated itself by becoming so insular. Still today, people who come to know Jesus Christ, 99.99% of people who come to know Jesus Christ do so because a friend of theirs invited them to church, to a healthy place that's full of loving people. And on any given Sunday, there are strangers in our midst. Do we embrace them? Do we recognize that a whole bunch of stuff has happened in the behind the scenes so that someone came and we want to say, welcome? Don't want to call them out. Don't want to make them feel embarrassed. But we sure want to make them feel welcome. Amen? Amen. And we want to be those people who are drawing people beyond these walls because the world is dying for lack of righteousness. It's not working well. And we deeply believe that we have the answer. And we're going to share it. And we're going to live it. And we're going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God, would you please help us as we try to digest the power of your word and what it means, how it affects our journey and our story and our life and our behavior and our choices, we're asking that you would do work in each one of us, that maybe through the course of these words and conversation, you've spoken some words of conviction, some things that need to change, some ways of thinking and acting and living that we'd like to make different. I pray that we could do genuine work with you. That as we sing these words, that you make the darkness tremble. Would you remind us we're not helpless? We can change something significant right now, today. And so would you help us to do that? I ask you to guide us. I ask you to continue to be present in all that's happening in the life of this church, this construction project, the, the outreach, the focus on compassion and care for the people in our city and around our world that need help and need support. Thank you for loving people who continue to support those kinds of works and ministry. Lead us. We want to be the kingdom of God alive on earth where your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, we pray. Now hear our response. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen. God bless. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.